Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are faithful to us. Lord, you are running after us. Lord, our hearts um, so often desire uh, that which is sinful. We, we run after idols. We run after those things which are, are useless, those things which, which really lead us nowhere good. But we thank you, Lord, that even though our hearts are so prone to run after idols, that, we are, that we're so prone to be unfaithful to you, that you remain faithful to us. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that you are such a good and compassionate God towards us. And as we open your word today to the prophet Hosea, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear. And Lord, that as we hear, we wouldn't just, just be uh, those who listen, but that uh, your word would pass from our ear to our heart and from our heart to our hands and feet. That we would be a people who serve you, not only in word, but in deed. That you would, it would enable us by the grace of of the power of your Holy Spirit to live faithfully for you. Lord, this is something that only you can do in us. So speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to be going to the book of the prophet Hosea, Hosea chapter 11. And Hosea preaches to God's people. Hosea preaches to the Israelites and he preaches... He preached to the people of, of Judah. He preached of God's judgment, and he preached of God's mercy. So as we read throughout Scripture, we see these two themes of, of judgment and mercy, or of the law and the gospel. You see, Hosea preached because the people of Israel and Judah had cheated on God. They cheated on God. And Hosea comes to preach and he, and he says that, that, um, that you are a people who have cheated on God. You, you're actually living your life in adultery because you have chased after the Baals. You've ch chased after these idols. Your hearts have turned from the one true God and the worship of the one true God to, to chase after and to worship and to serve the Baals. Sound familiar? We're no different. We are just like the nation of Israel. We're just like the nation of Judah who cheated on God, chased after idols, lived unfaithfully before God. We too have left faithful worship of God to chase after other lovers, to chase after other gods that really are not gods at all. So when the Israelites entered into the land of Canaan, the Canaanites worshipped these idols called the Baals. The Baals were the gods of the Canaanites. The Baals were the, the gods of fertility. They were the gods that promised good crops. So when the Israelites entered into Canaan, they began to adopt the worship of the Canaanites. The Canaanites basically said, if you want to have successful crops, 
If you want to be a success here in the land, then you need to offer sacrifices and you need to perform services before the Baals. Because if you do not worship the Baals, then your crops will not be successful. So the Israelites would go to the temples of the Baals or to the high places where they would sacrifice to the Baals. And there they would, they would perform all sorts of rituals. The rituals would include prostitution. The rituals would even include human sacrifice. So the Israelites were said, if you want to be successful in this land... If you want to be successful here in Canaan, then you need to serve the Baals. You need to serve these idols. And through serving these idols, your life will be a success. Your crops won't fail. You'll have what you need. You'll be successful in life. And then Hosea's entire life, especially his, his strange marital relationship, served as a, as a metaphor of the people of Israel. Let me explain. Hosea's marriage to Gomer served as a metaphor of the nation of Israel. God had told the prophet Hosea to go and to marry a woman of unfaithfulness, to marry a prostitute. So Gomer obeyed the Lord, and Gomer went and took, uh, Hosea took Gomer to be his wife. She was a woman of unfaithfulness. She was a, a prostitute. They, they built a family. They had children. Hosea was, was always faithful to his wife, Gomer. But eventually, one day, Gomer went back to her old life of prostitution. She left her husband, Hosea, and went back to her old ways. Just like the nation of Israel. God had married himself to the nation of Israel. Yet the nation of Israel continually cheated on God. They continually left God for idols. And then this is surprising. You would think that, that God would judge Hosea's wife. That God would judge Gomer. But God says to Hosea, go and redeem your wife. Go and purchase your wife and bring her back to be your very own. And Hosea went. And Hosea redeemed his unfaithful wife, Gomer. And that is just an incredible, beautiful picture of God's faithfulness and of God's compassion towards you and towards me. That though we are unfaithful to God, God is always faithful to us. And he even paid the price through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. 
through the shedding of his blood, not with silver or gold, but with his own blood to purchase us back as his very own. So today you belong to the Lord. See, God never gives up on you. God will never give up on you. We are, we are a people who give up on others. We quickly drop people. We quickly say, no, nah, I don't want to have anything to do with that person. Or with that group of people. We're, we're so quick to abandon people. But God is always faithful to you. God will never turn his back on you. He loves you. He loves you. Then later in, in the book of Hosea, the metaphors are switched from that of, of God being a faithful husband to an unfaithful wife. The metaphors switch from God being a faithful father to unfaithful children. So God is like a husband who is faithful to his unfaithful wife. And God is also a father who is faithful to his unfaithful children. And this is where we pick up in Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 11 today. Listen to this beautiful passage from the prophet Hosea. When Israel was a child, this is the Lord speaking through Hosea. When Israel is a child, the Lord says, I loved him. And out of Egypt I, I called my son. Verse 2, but the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to images. And it was I who taught Ephraim. Ephraim's a, another word for Israel. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk. Taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. God says, I led them with cords of human kindness and ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. And I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? Verse 6, a sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. So he says there is a, a warning. There are consequences for unfaithfulness. But verse 8, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? Adma and Zeboim were two towns that were close to Sodom and Gomorrah and consumed when judgment fell upon Sodom and Gomorrah. How can I treat you like Adma that was consumed at the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah? How can I make you like Zeboim that was consumed at the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah? My heart has changed within me. He says, all my compassion, all my compassion is aroused. He says, I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. 
for I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They'll come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows. From Assyria, fluttering like doves. He says, I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So then two main points, the big idea of the sermons in two points. Just like the Israelites were attracted to idols, we're attracted to idols too. We're no different. We're no different than the Israelites. And in the same way that God was ever faithful and compassionate Heavenly Father to the Israelites, God is your ever faithful and compassionate Heavenly Father. Amazing. God is faithful and that God is compassionate to an unfaithful person like me. Now our idols, so number one, we're attracted to idols too. Our idols aren't, aren't the Baals. We, we don't go to the high places, uh, to the place of the local deity, the local Baal, and there perform service to, to idols. Um, but we still worship at the altar of success. In the same way the Israelites used these idols as a means to achieve success, we're no different because we also worship at the altar of success. You see, Canaanites believed that success and wealth was found through worshiping the Baals. So we have, uh, so we have, we have lived the same way. And, and I ask you this question, have you lost anything? Have you lost anything that is truly important to you in your life as you chased after this idol of success? Because anytime we chase after the idol of success, we're, we're sacrificing something that is truly important. So what have you lost in your life in your pursuit of success? Now let me tell you this, there's nothing wrong with success. I pray that each and every one of us are successful. I pray that each and every one of us are blessed by God, not only spiritually, but that, we, that, we're, that we're grateful and that we acknowledge that all good things, even material good things, uh, come from the Lord and are blessings from Him. But the problem is, is that when we begin to worship success, when we begin to worship wealth, or when we begin to worship those things which are a blessing from God, in other words, they become more important to us than God. They become our ambition and our focus in life rather than God. So there's nothing wrong with success. Just as long as you're not making success your idol, the most important, the number one thing in your life. And, and I understand why we're a people who, who worship success. I understand. Because success is more attractive to us more attractive to us today than God in His holy ways. Just think about this. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Jesus says if you're going to be my disciple, you need to count the cost. And He said that to live as a disciple of Jesus, to live as my disciple, Jesus said it's going to cost you something. 
So, so success, according to the world, is much more attractive than discipleship because discipleship is hard and discipleship will cost you something. So conversion has to be the work of the Holy Spirit alone. If a person is going to become, uh, be converted from an unbeliever to a believer as a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, it has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. If you study church history and you go back to the early church, you'll find the Christians, the Christians were being fed to the lions. And as Christians were being fed to the lions, people were converting and they were becoming believers. If you study the expansion of Christianity in China, it's amazing. Or the expansion of Christianity in, under communist Ethiopia. When the Lutheran church left Ethiopia, when the communists took over, they thought that the church was finished. But when communism was lifted from Ethiopia, they went in and the Lutheran church it started, when they left, it was extremely small, but when they came back after communism, there were over 8 million Lutherans in Ethiopia. It's amazing. And they knew that if they converted under communism, that they could face death. So conversion has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. Because there's nothing attractive about saying become a Christian and suffer. Become a Christian and potentially die. There's nothing attractive in that, in that uh, sales pitch. Now imagine if a, if a businessman came and said, buy my product, uh, buy my car, and, and die. Lars, would any salesman uh, succeed? Saying, buy, buy my, he, Lars used to be a Honda salesman, so. That's not the sales pitch you want to give, right? Buy this Honda and you'll, you'll be happy. Stay in our hotel and, and you'll die. Who's going to stay there? Nobody, eat at eat my restaurant and, and there's a chance you'll die. You can eat there? No. But that's the call of, of Jesus and to be a disciple. Follow me. And, and there's a good chance you're going to suffer. And there's a good chance you may even become a martyr. So I understand why, why the message of success and even the church's Christianity has fallen into this trap too. That many preachers promise health and wealth and prosperity. If you follow Jesus, everything's going to be great in your life. But that's not the way that it works. Think of how the apostles died. Matthew suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia, killed by a sword. And many of, much of this is from church tradition, not from the scriptures. Tr tr church tradition says that, that uh, Mark died in Alexandria, Egypt, after being dragged through the streets until he was dead. Pa, uh, Luke was hanged in Greece as a result of his tremendous preaching to the lost. 
And it goes on and on and on. Each and every one of the first disciples, of the original apostles of the early church, suffered for the sake of the gospel. Now, John, of the, of the twelve faithful, John, the apostle John, he was the only one who died of, an old, of old age. He didn't die a martyr's death. But they did put him into a searing pot of oil. And he was exiled to the island of Patmos. And miraculously, he survived when they tried to uh, fry him in oil. Just a small list of the examples of the cost of discipleship. So we understand why we're attracted to the idol of success. Makes sense. Become a success according to the world's program, and, and according to the world's program, and you'll have whatever you want. Maybe you'll even have air conditioning in your home. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Who here wish they had air conditioning in their house right now? You'll be attracted to people. Especially if you have air conditioning, everybody will come over to your house and you have air conditioning. Follow, following Jesus will never, will never make you popular with everybody. And Jesus even said that. He actually says, if you follow me, you're going to be despised by many people. We'll be attractive to many whom God is granting repentance and calling to himself. But we're not going to be attractive to everybody. So I understand success is, is attractive. And, and to make that your number one ambition in life is attractive because of what it promises. It promises comfort, popularity, whatever else is that we deem as being good. But here's the catch. Listen to Jesus, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world? Be a success in life. You got the world by the tail. Yet what? Forfeit their soul. What good is it to chase after the idol of success? Yet forfeit your soul. Now remember, success comes at a cost. What have you lost in your life, in your pursuit of success? The worst thing that a person can experience in their pursuit of success is to make it their idol in such a way that they actually sever their connection with God and forfeit their soul for eternity. So we're called instead to live a life of faith. And Hebrews gives us the example of Moses. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, beginning with the 24th verse. It says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You see, being known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter would have given Moses success. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy, here it is, enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. The pleasures of sin are temporary. They are fleeting. They are not eternal. Verse 26. He regarded, Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead 
to his reward. He was looking ahead to something better, something greater than the temporary pleasures of serving the idol of success today. Ultimately, what a person forfeits in their pursuit of success is life. In the Greek, the, the word for everlasting life is zoe. You ever heard of a girl named Zoe? It means life, everlasting life. And that's what is forfeited when you serve the idols of success or whatever idols might be tempting you. So are you forfeiting life? Are you forfeiting Zoe? Everlasting life with Christ for the short-lived pleasures of idolatry? Jesus promises you life today and life eternal. Stretch a line, a cord, from here where I'm standing, out the back door, and I think we're facing, I'm facing south, yes, south, all the way to the South Pole. If it was possible for us to stretch a line that far, take one inch of that line, and that one inch equals 100 years. If you live to be 100 years old, you're, you're pretty fortunate. Most of us will not live to be 100 years old. That line represents eternity. And if we could stretch a line all the way from where I'm standing, all the way to the South Pole, that line would be much too short to represent eternity. Your life here on earth is one inch. Maybe. How are you going to spend that one inch or less than an inch? Worshipping those things that really don't count, those things that don't matter. Pursuing things that are pointless in the perspective of eternity. Serve the Lord. Serve Him only. And let's also understand Jesus' concept of success. We're tempted to worship at the altar of success, but let's... Listen to what Jesus says about success. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 uh, and through 28, Jesus says this. Jesus says, not so with you. You see, the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest. Who's the most successful in life? And he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your What? Servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your what? Slave. Just as the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Success. Success is being a servant. <laughs> Servant of the Lord and a servant of others. Again, there's nothing wrong with success in life. There's nothing wrong with being a successful athlete. There's nothing wrong with being a successful student. There's nothing wrong with being successful in business or in your profession. 
There's nothing wrong with, with owning nice things. Just as long as those things do not become your idol, your focus in life. So, in the same way the Israelites were tempted by idols, the same way the Israelites were unfaithful to God, so are we. But here's the good news of the gospel. God is your ever-faithful and compassionate Heavenly Father. When we are unfaithful to God, He remains faithful to us. He is compassionate and faithful to you. It doesn't matter how far you go. It doesn't matter how involved you have been in the sins of idolatry. God is your ever-faithful and compassionate Heavenly Father. You see, I'm tempted to believe that God will forsake me if I'm not faithful to Him. I'm tempted to believe that God will just cast me off and want nothing to do with me if I'm unfaithful to Him. But there's no comfort in that, and there's no truth in that either. I actually heard a preacher say one time, a southern preacher, Jimmy Swagger! How many of you heard of Jimmy Swagger? He says, if you're faithful to God, God will be faithful to you. He says, if you never give up on God, God will never give up on you. What a terrible message. We give up on God every day. We're unfaithful to God every day. God is never unfaithful to us. For many, it's hard to understand the concept of a faithful and compassionate Heavenly Father because their, their concept of their earthly fathers um, makes it difficult for them to understand the faithfulness of God the Father. Many have grown up with dads that haven't re been, remained faithful to their spouse or to their children. But God, God is, is a Heavenly Father that we can't even compare to the best earthly He is such a faithful and good Heavenly Father. God's faithfulness and compassion for His wayward children is incomprehensibly amazing. We cannot even begin to comprehend God's compassion, His faithfulness, His grace, His mercy, and His love. It is a love and grace and mercy that is beyond our human ability to even begin to wrap our minds around. He's such a good God. My prayer is that you would trust in Him. You would believe in Him. That you would come to rest in His amazing grace. How is it possible? Well, Jesus gave His life as a ransom. He purchased you. Not with silver or gold, but with His precious blood. With his precious blood, he said, I purchase you as my very own. You're mine. You belong to me. Even though you forsake me, even though your hearts are turned towards idols, I love you. So how can we avoid the traps of idolatry? Well, I, I believe, and we as come from a Lutheran tradition, believe in, in the scriptures, 
as being our, our means of grace. And so, let the Lord search your heart through his word. In other words, open the scriptures and allow the Lord to use the scriptures to search your heart. You see, the psalmist says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Know my heart. And when we open the scriptures, it's, uh, it, it's, it's like a, a shining a beam of light in the dark places of our hearts. And through that, we're able to say, Lord, I'm reading your word today. And your word says that, that I need to repent and trust in you. So allow the word of God to search your heart. Allow the word of God to be like that flashlight that looks into the nooks and crannies of your heart. And when something's exposed in your heart through his word, simply say, Lord, I've sinned. For the scripture says that if we claim that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So let his word search your heart. And then, once you receive that promise of forgiveness, the promise of his righteousness, the promise of his love, of his mercy, of his compassion, and of his grace, enjoy it. Enjoy the grace. Enjoy the mercy. Enjoy the compassion of your heavenly Father. Enjoy it. How do you enjoy it? Well, you're freed by this message. You know that you're not under God's righteous, holy frown. But he's smiling upon you. You're his child. He loves you. Live in that place. Live with freedom. Live with joy. Live with peace. Knowing who you are before your heavenly father and knowing what your eternity is all about, that your eternity is secure in Christ. Amen. Lord, it's, I find it so difficult to preach on your grace, and that's because we are a people who, who understand that within this world we have to do things in order to earn something. And the concept of your grace and your love and your compassion is so foreign to us. So it's a work that only your Holy Spirit can do within us. So by your Holy Spirit, through the power of your word, I pray that we truly will come to that place of freedom in you. That we would enjoy your compassion today. That today as we go out, we don't have to worry about your righteous, holy frown. But that we would know that you smile upon us as a good father smiles upon his children. Let us live with that liberation. Let us live in that joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.